Another pot of coffee is brewing, even though it is far too late to be contemplating caffeine again today, or at least it should be. As I record this, it's currently Good Friday, and I have been enjoying the first of 10 full days off work, which is bliss. Despite the fact that my body still woke me up at an obscene hour, hence the extra bean juice. Having said that, by the time you hear this, I will be on my first day back in the office with new hair, a freshly planted balcony, and hopefully a lot of renewed vigour. All that means is that it's time for the next episode of Being Bookish. I'm your host, Ray, self-confessed bookworm, film addict, TV show marathoner, hermit, long-term depression sufferer, and very honest caffeine fiend. Light the candles, get yourself a fresh cup of something hot or a glass of something chilled, depending entirely on your preference and when you're listening, of course. And let's get started. And I'm here with my friend Debbie, who's now laughing her head off because she is not a podcaster like me. And we're here to talk about a book that she actually picked out called Eight Perfect Hours by Leah Lucy Lewis. And I can't even say her surname, so there's me completely done for the day. <laughs> Debbie, thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me. Well, last time we spoke, it was about the wonder that was long-term furlough. And <laughs> yeah, I know that was great, wasn't it? I didn't experience any of that. And also we talked about Silver Liney's playbook the film, not the book. And I will link that below as well as the book review that I did later. But today we are going to be talking about Eight Perfect Hours, which is a, what would you say this was? Contemporary romance, chick lit? Yeah, all of the above, I would say. Um, Not a genre that I would um, pick which is why I was surprised when (laughs) you looked at when I gave you a tour of my TBR and and you said oh I like the look of eight perfect hours we'll do that one (laughs) it's nice to broaden your horizons though isn't it and not just stick to like um thrillers or psychological thrillers or adventure um adventure stuff and horror and you know there's quite a lot of genres that I read but um, chick lit contemporary romance isn't has never been one of them. It's not really been a, you know sort of eye catching enough for me. I think. So what sort of caught your eye about this one, apart from the fact that it's got a lovely peachy coloured cover, <laughs> peachy colour, um, and what looks like a um, a sand timer on the front as well, which I've only just noticed. Yeah, it is. I think because it was just different I mean the colour's different it's like eight perfect hours okay what's that about um I went on to Amazon to have a look um and thought yeah why not give it a go see what um I think it's more the fact of um of them the fact that these lives collide and they're kind of interchangeable um I can't remember what Amazon said about it now, but there was something that Amazon had said that I was like, no, I definitely want to try this one. Okay, well, before we get into it, I'm going to read the blurb on the back, as I always do. When Noelle and Sam's lives collide one snowy evening, they spend eight perfect hours stuck side by side, believing that they'll never see each other again. But soon their lives become entangled in ways they never expected, and it's going to change everything you see just that kind of entices me in um and it's given me a newfound respect for these kinds of books I know it's only the first one that I've read um but it definitely has given me a newfound respect that's the thing I think romance has changed a lot since we were teenagers when it was a so it was more commonly associated with oh it's Mills and Boone (laughs) Though that said, I've got nothing against Mills and Boone because some really good authors have come from that direction, including authors like Nalini Singh and Nora Roberts, both of whom got their start writing Mills and Boone. Mm. So it's a bit unfair to say that. However, the the negative association was always there. So 
finding this kind of book at your age rather than reading it when you were younger is it it is a genre that sort of surprised you yes it was so readable um I couldn't put it down um Always I had a good to, sign. I had to I've got study to do <laughs> and sleep um and so I would finish like doing my studies and then read for a couple of hours before going to bed um but the the story was just was really good I it surprised me that I how much I enjoyed it actually so oh, that's good I've got I've got a good few a uh, good large number of authors including one of the authors that comments on the back of this who are incredibly readable in this genre mm. and one thing I will say is there is a marked difference between British sounds really awful between British contemporary romance authors and American yeah I can see that British contemporary romance authors tend to write about slightly older characters because we know that Noelle in this is 32 she's not really really young any longer but she's not old either I mean seriously I'd like to be 32 again (laughs) no (laughs) no no. (laughs) I'd like to be 32 knowing what I know now that's for sure yes (laughs) see that's one of the things about Noelle in this book is she doesn't feel like she has a way out no and that's really sad I found that quite sad that yeah um, so do you want to tell us about Noelle and her story Without any spoilers. Oh, no spoilers. So um, she was in... I I feel so sorry for her. And in some ways, I actually kind of um, relate to her a lot as well. In the fact that, you know, with um, her... With what happened to her when she was younger and at university. Um, her boyfriend at the time not really being as supportive as probably he could have been. Um, and you know, her mum being there, I mean, my, my mum didn't really know what to do when, with my depression, it wasn't until later that we had a chance to talk about it, but you know, her mum was there for her depression and helped her through it. Um, and then her mum got ill and so she had a stroke. Yeah. So she felt obliged as you would do to then look after her mum and her life kind of like stopped because she was looking after her mum and the boyfriend didn't like it, uh, had a job opportunity and I'm not going to swear and went away. <laughs> left. He let, he moved to left America. Her. Yes. And left her. And then that was it done. Um, I, I see his point of view of the fact that, you know, she can't just, her life shouldn't stop, um, living just because you know there was a um her mum having a stroke and stuff but then I see her point of view as well where she wants to give back to her mum what her mum did for her but at the same time I think that the obligation she felt yeah it she loves her mother don't get me wrong but there was a huge a massive reason behind her staying and essentially abandoning her entire life yeah was an obligation rather than anything else and you can tell that a lot when she starts feeling that resentment towards her younger brother dill or dilly as she constantly calls him which then makes me think dilly is that a boy or a girl it's (laughs) for dylan and it really throws me because i have a nephew called dylan and we definitely do not call this six foot two giant who is still growing dilly (laughs) (laughs) it's yes it's um that nickname did kind of make me chuckle a little bit um and I every once in a while I had to go back and check that I wasn't missing another character (laughs) um he's quite a free spirit though isn't he and he's allowed to be but I like he's also quite selfish but then in the end he's he's not in the end he's not but he does I think so many things he does prove that the first person in his thoughts is himself. But then you've got to think about his age, though, and the fact that at that time, that's all you think about at that age is yourself. And also he's thinking, well, it doesn't matter because my sister's there with with my mum, so it's fine. Or they've got the neighbour at the time. 
But the, the thing is, though, the neighbour had moved away and moved in with somebody else because he couldn't wait around for her, for Belinda, the mother, to admit that she cared for him. So he'd moved on and he occasionally popped in, but he no longer lived next door. No, but he still kept the house, though. He just rented it out, didn't he? Yeah. So, yeah, you've got that sense of... Um, or Dilly probably had that sense of security that, that his mum was being looked after. Um, when um, Noel got the job offer and he was supposed to come and look after the mum, he did try. There was just an unfortunate thing to happen. Yeah, however, he did try, but he didn't leave as early as he said he was going to. No, which was very And naughty. then, yeah, which was very naughty of him. And then that further solidified the selfishness of... <laughs> the ex-boyfriend, boyfriend, soon-to-be ex-ex again, <laughs> and also sort of made Noelle realise that she needed another plan. But I did, I think certain things about the way that her mother relied on her financially frustrated me. Like when she was going to turn down the job that Ian had found for her because she didn't have any spare time. She didn't have any time to herself at all, apart mm. from a Sunday. And her mum looks at her as if to say, I need more money because Dilly couldn't even afford to pay his credit card. Yeah, I mean, that because the mum usually pays it. Um, yes, and... with mostly with money that Noelle brings home because she's mm. the only one earning anything. Which is, yeah, I thought that that was a bit a bit rude. And again, it's that obligation, isn't it? Yeah. And um, it makes you wonder kind of like what kind of culture maybe the um, author comes from to have that, kind of, that obligation. Because there are certain cultures that, yes. um, you know, kind of, it's, it's one of those invisible enforcements, if that makes sense. Maternal Where? guilt. Yes. <laughs> yes. You owe me. Um, I mean, her her father had done a runner when she was a child. Um, and there must have been a reason for it. Although, can I say we don't we don't know? So no, we don't. All knows. we know is that he moved to Australia and remarried, and never had anything to do with his children. No, but the actual I I love but the the story I love. I mean the. The romance is it really a, can you say romance but um part of it you know the just the love story that's it the love story um I love that it's and the way that it was written was almost like I wanted it to be me as well you know to have that's that. what see that's one thing I do love about this kind of contemporary romance I've just finished and I I did review a couple of American contemporary romances and they were written in the sort of world of glitz and glamour and the main characters unless you are an influencer and you're in your late 20s and you're gorgeous and have all the money in the world you're never going to identify with those characters you might have envy but you don't identify with them whereas quite often with this kind of book you can sit there and you can put yourself in the shoes of the character you're reading about mm. and with Noelle it was quite easy to see yourself in her situation to understand where she was coming from and feel that incredible amount of sympathy for her mm -hmm. because she was in a hopeless situation but at least she managed to get herself out of it and you know her, um, with help from her family because they realized that they were holding her back too um and I think that was you know that was great especially when her mum was so encouraging for her to take that job of doing the wedding. The wedding flowers um and you know I could feel that sense of sort of guilt from the mum that the mum then realized what she'd been that obligation that she'd been under and, and the kind of pressure that she yeah. put on Noelle Mm -hmm. that had meant that everybody everyone else she was watching them all get the kind of life that she eventually wanted she could never see herself settling down and having children like her friend Charlie or no. 
or doing any of the things. It all starts with a letter. Yeah, from Daisy. Oh, that actually, I have to be honest, when I started reading that, I was sitting in my in the canteen at work and I was like, not going to cry. <laughs> I, I, got, I have to say, I got confused sort of like halfway through. I'm like, what the hell's going on here? Um, so I had to restart it. I was like, oh, right, right, now I get it. I don't know what why it took me so long for it to click. Um, but I had to re-read that bit um like twice for me to to realize what was going on and it was yeah heartbreaking but I could again identify with um with what was being said in that letter you know of like yeah. where are we going to be and then you find out what happened to Daisy and it's just it just makes that letter a lot more bittersweet really doesn't it yeah the thing is you find out quite early on that Daisy died at 18 you don't find out until later on in the book how she died and we're not going to talk about that because that is a spoiler yeah (laughs) but I got I got it before I read it yes so did I (laughs) I was like oh that character oh that makes sense oh wow yeah it's this book is all about serendipity really yeah yeah but I I like that kind of philosophy of um, the the red thread and and the entire- the Chinese the Chinese yeah. um, soul almost soulmates thing. I think yeah. the there was one moment where I got really angry with Sam, who is let's be honest here, he is the love interest, the romantic the mm-hmm. romance interest in Noel's life. I did get quite angry with him at one point though, when they meet in the hospital after her mother's had a fall. Yeah, she gives him her phone number. And then he just tosses it aside instead of putting it in. Why didn't he put it in the bin? I mean, I just thought, no way. (laughs) Seriously. My heart sank so much at that because I thought you've got so much potential. And now are you a douche? Mm. I was thinking the same. I'm like, you're quite an arsehole really right now. (laughs) Yeah. Um, but I'm when it comes to books, I'm I'm really bad because on my Kindle it's it's not as easy to do. But if it's a, a book in my hand, I will skip. So I'll, I'll read like the first quarter of the book. And, and we're hearing this here. Do, does anybody else do this? Because if you do, then I go to the end and I'll read the last chapter. But the last chapter gave nothing away. I know. I know. I know, but I do that. I'll like then, then I'll go back to where I was and I'll read on a little bit more, and then I'll skip another couple of chapters just to see what's going on. Yeah, do, do, I just do. <laughs> um, it doesn't ruin the story for me. It's kind of like, oh, I wonder how they get get to that bit, and so it's, it's for me, it's not ruined. But um, yeah, I do it all the time with um, like proper books, as in like paperback or hardback. I always do it, but it's not as easy to do on a Kindle. So. No, it's not. But at the same time, do you think it gave it gave anything away when you did that with this book? No, not at all. Um, I was even. I mean, I knew about um, the capsule and the, the time essentially the this book starts when noel goes to the opening of the it's a school reunion and the opening of their time of their time capsule and unfortunately there has been a massive storm so only one of the time capsules has been opened and she's there for one reason she wants the camera that her her friend daisy put in the time capsule with a letter for her friend on that day and it was the last set of photos she ever took before she passed away and unfortunately because there's such a bad storm the second time capsule is unable to be retrieved until a later date so she's left with this letter and then due to a due to the roads being in such poor condition there is an accident with a truck and she's unable to get home which leads to these eight hours with Sam where he offers um, for her to sit in his car because she's got quite a beaten up car and it doesn't really, you know, heating doesn't really work. So he And be- she can't charge her phone because her brother's yeah. broken the charger point. Um, and 
so he was um just being a nice gentleman well not necessarily a gentleman but just a nice person um given the circumstances that they weren't like moving anywhere um there was a bread truck up ahead or behind them or something wasn't there that opened up um, <laughs> and they were making cheese sandwiches that bit made yes. me laugh when that guy comes up to the as do you have anything else cheese sandwiches <laughs> seriously they're in the middle of nowhere they're lucky they're getting anything at all yeah oh that was it they were good do you have anything gluten-free I'm like that would be me <laughs> well yes you do have something gluten-free the cheese <laughs> yeah and the story that they were making up as they were walking back to the car I thought that was really lovely. Yeah, um, they, I, that, that's the thing. They immediately had a click. There was that click. There was a connection between them instantly. And it was exactly like her friend Daisy talked about, oh, you've got, there's a red string tying you to your soulmate. And it was almost as though she could see it with Sam. Mm. But then they don't exchange phone numbers. Oh, that really annoyed me. I was like, what? Why didn't you just like go and just, oh. But then I don't think, the thing is, given the, his actions at the hospital later, mm. when she does see him again and she does give him her phone number and he throws it away, I don't think he wanted it at that point. It was almost like if he'd said anything, he if she'd said anything, he'd have dismissed it as a, oh, let this be a moment in time. Mm. Yeah, I guess so. But they keep on just meeting. They do bump into each other and other little things as well throughout their um, sort of lives. Like her key ring. Like her key ring and the pen pal. Yes. So he's supposed to be the pen pal. And didn't he, um, wasn't he the instructor for her ex when... His ex, when her ex they, was they allude that. they allude to that yeah they don't outright state essentially her ex ed is a pediatrician and he goes to he moves to america for his job though he is now back in the picture and that's when he and noel split up and sam is talking about a class that he took of doctors from a hospital and how one of them he really wanted to push off the cliff and say it was an accident, he was wearing the wrong shoes. So there's that allusion to the fact that that may well have been the person mm. that he really didn't like. And Ed, see, Ed was another character that he was necessary to the story because he showed Noelle's development and her growth as a, char- as a person. Mm. But there were a few times I wanted to push him off a train. Oh, yeah. I mean, he was so... Oh, I was like... Condescending? Yes. And just really not supportive at all. And not trying to see things from her point of view when it comes to her mum. Yeah, he kept on trying to tell her that she was living in the past. And kind of um, when when she asked for his help before he, he got re- on the train. Yeah. And he flatly refused. And it's kind of... Red flag there, love. You know, it just, no. If There were so many red flags, though, because every time she asked him about how things were in Virginia or Portland, he ref- he just said, oh, they were okay. He yeah, never answered her. Yeah, though, wasn't it, that he kind of um, said that he'd met someone. Well, she's, the thing is, he didn't say anything. She saw a photo of him on Instagram And the photo in his profile changed and everything else. So she sensed that there was somebody. However, you do find out later on what happened with that to Mm. a degree. But he is all the way through this. He is trying to change her while she's she's Mm. not happy with who she is necessarily. But she needs to do things at her own pace because there's so much going on. But again, she doesn't, you know, she already tried to mould herself before to what he wanted. Yeah, exactly. The thing is that she was changing to what he wanted rather than what she did. And his mum, oh, do not like his mum. She was terrifying. Oh, she was a bitch. Sorry, she's a bitch. (laughs) That's the thing. There were certain characters in this because there are so many. Well, there actually there aren't, but in... The scheme of a romantic novel, there were quite a number of characters, especially for contemporary. And you've got, well, 
you've got her friends Charlie and Theo and I felt I I felt really bad for Charlie she's a she's sort of new agey she was friends with Daisy and Noel and she's just had a baby she's married to this man who seems to absolutely think she hung the stars but she yeah. is suffering from postnatal depression and she yeah. doesn't know how to ask for help but i think that part was really nicely written yeah it wasn't making her look like she was unstable it was making her look as though she was doubting herself she was terrified yeah and you know there was no um sort of blame no one was blaming her theo was trying to support her the best that he could and ask for help with you know to noel and um eventually she managed to to get the help that she needed that's the thing noel offered help and that is something else that ed didn't like about her it was the fact mm. that she always thought of someone else before she thought of herself yeah he thinks that he is the center of the universe and believes that everybody else should just revolve around him and that made him a, a very unlikable character and i think that was intentionally so yeah but then looking at how his mother was or is well i can't really say is because she's just not real <laughs> his mother was a wasn't she a university lecturer i think so something like father that. brothers surgeons mm. so the whole family is doctorates galore and they never treated noel with any respect as far as they were concerned she was beneath them and she mm. needed to find someone who was not on her level, but who appreciated her for who she was rather than what she could become if she just changed this, that and the other. Yeah, they wanted to model her, you know, mould her, didn't they, into what they thought would be acceptable. The perfect doctor's wife, mm. which was quite sad, really, because she was, as a, as a character, she was lovely. Yeah. She had flaws, but that's human. <laughs> and I think that's nice that she did have flaws. She wasn't perfect, but she was human. She wasn't um, sort of overly flawed either, yeah. if that makes sense. Yes, or, it does. Nor completely perfect. Um, and I think that's what I liked about it. It was, you know, it, she was such a believable character. She could be me. She could be a friend. She could be you know, an acquaintance or, or whatever. She'd um, also be the, the sort of friend you'd want. She had a, a small circle, but then, you know, her friend's death, I think, hit her quite a lot harder than she would probably admit. Well, no, that's the thing. She acknowledges that her friend's death is what sent her into a spiral of depression, hmm. which is why she ended up hospitalised. I think one of my biggest dislikes with character tropes is oh well she's flawed look she's clumsy <laughs> and that's the flaw they give so many romantic heroines and it frustrates me no end because that's not human no. I mean okay I have to admit I'm clumsy as all get out walk me into a room and I can guarantee you I'm going to stub my toe and bang my elbow <laughs> within five minutes but that isn't a flaw that's just a trait. See, that's it. I think that one of the things that is really good about this is they gave these characters believable qualities. So we're talking about Charlie. <laughs> well, I liked her. I kind of knew that there was something wrong, obviously. Um, wasn't quite sure what it was. I um, was dreading a revelation that she was cheating on Theo. That was my biggest fear with her. I think that's the way that it was written. You could think that. Yes, definitely. Um, the that suspicious was one of my thoughts. going the opposite way to work and not being in the shop when Ed mm. and Noel dropped in to see her and things like that. And that was the point where you realised truthfully that Ed was only interested in himself. Yeah. When she was saying, I'm really worried about Charlie. Oh, why are you always worried about everybody apart from yourself? You need to be thinking about you. It's like, that's all very well and good. You do need to think about yourself. 
and be focused on who you are. But at the same time, if you don't think about other people, what the heck? Yeah, I think Theo might have thought the same thing as well. Um, But I don't know, there was just some, the way it was written, although that was my first initial thought, I was thinking, no, can't be, can't be, can't be. And then when it wasn't, I was actually quite relieved. Yeah, there's that that breath of, oh, thank goodness she wasn't cheating on him because he's so lovely and he does, (laughs) he seems like the absolute perfect husband or perfect supportive partner. And that was the comparison. If you looked at her, you looked at Charlie and Theo and then you looked at Ed who was trying to weasel his way back into her life despite not really wanting to be there. Mm. It was almost like he was going, I'm going to correct the faults I made earlier on. But I'm not going to be nice about it. Yeah, I like the fact that um, when she did eventually tell Charlie what was going on, there was no judgment. But she was still like Team Sam. (laughs) Yes, exactly. There was very much, they called him Captain America. Yeah. Which immediately appealed to me, but I did find it quite funny because in the very beginning, when we first encounter Sam, my immediate thought was, oh, he's a businessman because they're talking about his suit, his smart car and everything else. And he's super prepared. My immediate thought was he's a businessman and he's going somewhere on a trip. We aren't going to go into anything to do with where he was actually going, but that was my immediate thought. I didn't. I knew that he wasn't a business person, um, but I wasn't 100% sure what his job was. So I know you're not a business. We do find out what he does, but it was, there were so many aspects of his person and his his outward appearance that struck me Mm. as very professional. Yeah, I can see, yeah, I can see that. And there was no judgment either when... When Noelle tells him that she is a cleaner and she's very good at her job, she's, I don't think you, you can tell immediately that it's not really what she wants to do, but she does it out of necessity because she hasn't got the qualifications needed to do anything else. No. Um, She's doing what she does because she loves her family and it gets the money that they need. Yeah. And then they cross paths again because of it, don't they? Yes. When she, goes to do the job that she was reluctant to do that Ian sets her up with which is cleaning out the flat of an old man that he meets he met in hospital who's apparently curmudgeonly and crabby and everything else and he's not wrong cantankerous old man (laughs) yes a very cantankerous old man and he's not wrong he is a very cantankerous old man but he's also Sam's dad Mm-hmm. <laughs> so their paths cross for the third time. So I, I was thinking, I, I bet that's my first thought when she, when she was told about him. Um, that was my first thought was whether or not it was his dad. Because the second time they meet is in the hospital when her mother's had a fall, and Sam is there to see his dad. So they keep, I mean, they keep on bumping into each other, and. You just get that feeling that it's more than chance. And even when, even though Sam is not afraid to acknowledge that there is obviously something there because they keep on seeing each other, it's more that he is less superstitious than she is. Mm. Yes. But when they continually bump into each other, it's finally as though a, a, a switch is flicked and he says, oh, hang on a sec. This, there must be more to this. I think it's more when they meet um, in Scotland. When she's doing the flowers yeah. for the wedding and yeah. he's at a mountaineers conference. Yeah. And they're at the same hotel. Yes. They weren't supposed to be. But no. it happened that, that they were. And he helps her, which is really nice. Unlike Ed, who's like, I'm going to sleep, and then tries it on with her. And she's like, no. No. <laughs> But she does, they finally kiss. I'm really pleased, actually, that she took that job. Um, And 
it's um, quite a romantic story about how that couple got together as well. Yeah, the post-it couple. Yeah, the post-it couple. And um, I thought it was really nice of him to help her. And um, then you... uh, No, that will give away a bit of a plot twist, so I won't say that. Um, (laughs) Honestly, the cogs are turning in my head going, can't say that, can't say that. It's like a little roller decks. <laughs> I'm I'm so happy. I did say before we started, no spoilers. Remember, no spoilers. No spoilers. Um, so, yeah, it was. As I said, it was nice that um, that he helped her out because Ed was supposed to, and then decided to fall asleep. As I just said, that's the thing. Ed is every single time you encounter Ed. I mean, when they first see each other at the reunion, he ignores her. He looks straight through her as though she doesn't exist. And then the only reason she even contacts him is it's almost petty in a way. She contacts him because Sam said that he has a girlfriend. So almost to prove to herself that she is still desirable, she contacts Ed and arranges to see him. So there was that kind of almost a I've returned to school revenge type (laughs) feeling to it but at the same time you could see she hadn't had a relationship or anything or been on any dates since Ed left and it was almost to prove to herself that she was still a desirable woman but everybody wants that validation don't they and um approval and appreciation and all the rest of it regardless of if you know it's wrong for you or not um and she kind of got it from him. But in the end, she realised that it was just, you know, it, it was she was never going to be what he wants her to be. She was never going to be able to give up and ignore her roots, her family, and her need to show them that she cared about them. Hmm. When he is so self-centred, selfish, self-absorbed, narcissistic, and ignorant of everything that means anything to anyone else Mm. because nothing means anything to him apart from status no I mean you know if my um and I've I've done it with with my ex um you know when his family's not been very well and he's not been able to get to them and he said to me can you go and and see my family make sure that they're all right or whatever you know I've I've done that I've taken his brother to the hospital twice when he had his nervous breakdowns it's you it's you know you you just do you don't where he just lacked compassion and I know as surgeons and stuff you have to be able to decompartmentalize and things and not get emotionally involved but there are some things that you just got to be a bit more human about yeah oh I agree and we were talking about the the red thread thing and it's actually in the front of the book an invisible red thread connects those who are destined to meet regardless of time place and circumstance the thread may stretch or tangle but it will never break and it never did no and it it really doesn't it doesn't matter what happens they are meant to meet and they are meant to be together at some point whether it happens perfectly easily or there are multiple obstacles put in their way. It's serendipity, mm. totally. So what didn't you like about the book, apart from the fact that it finished? If I'm honest, I don't think there was anything that I didn't like, which is really weird for me. Um, the fact that you don't really know much about her dad didn't really phase me. It's like, oh, he went away. Okay, fine. Um, it would have been the same if he passed on. Yeah, he wouldn't know know much about him. No, he didn't play a part in who she was, or no, I don't anything think it would have really made much more, you know, to the story or anything like that either. There's probably some plot holes in there that I've not noticed, but then it's very rare that I do notice things like that. To be honest, I just read the book and go, "All right." <laughs> that was all right or that was really crap or whatever but I really I just I enjoyed the book um and yeah I I don't think there was anything that I disliked about it I think the only things I really didn't like Ed I wanted to slap Dilly up the back of the head 
because I just said I I felt that given I know that he was still quite young he's in his 20s I know that he was still quite young but ultimately when you've got that kind of situation you do grow up quicker Mm. and he, he wasn't a child he was in his 20s and he was so irresponsible and though he does come come sort of prove himself at the end of it there were so many moments where I just wanted to say seriously your sister's working her fingers to the bone and you're just playing your you're playing your music and you're making no money out of it and you're costing your family money that they don't have and it just frustrated me I wanted him to have a bit a bit more of a a sort of a um, light bulb moment Mm -hmm. and it took him so long to have it that she'd had to go through this for a decade with very little support because I think her mum was a bit too scared to get any support because she didn't want to go into hospital. Yeah. I loved the secondary story of Ian and Belinda. Oh, that was lovely, wasn't it? He was so sweet. And you could tell that he was in love with Noelle's mum from the very beginning. And even Noelle knew. And she she had that kind of, oh, it's really sweet. I want that kind of thing. Mm. There were certain things I... I was sad about Daisy and I would have liked a few more flashbacks to actually get to know her as a character more, even though she was more a catalyst than a character. Mm -hmm. And I think that was about it. Would you read any more by her? I would. Yeah, definitely. She has, she does have two more books. Mm -hmm. She has somewhere close to happy, which sounds quite nice. And dear Emmy blue. Uh, oh yes it's on the back of this one did you feel sad when you finished the book or oh that was lovely I felt no I didn't feel sad at all even you know knowing what happened with Daisy I still didn't feel sad I felt quite uplifted to a certain extent and um especially with the epilogue and kind of what happened in in that bit and it was kind of like oh you know and I think that's underestimated a lot by people who judge yeah. what is classified as a good book because there are lots of good authors that write romance. I think, you know, my I've tried to read ro- romance novels before and as you um, put it, they're all like corset busters and, and stuff and it's like, really? Really? No. Yeah, that's, that's down to the author you choose, though. That is it true. Does, it does does tend to, I think that in the 80s specifically romance was considered it was either Barbara Taylor Bradford <laughs> Penny Vincenzi or Joanna Jackie Lindsay Collins. Jackie Collins they were all they I mean those to a certain extent were the ste- they were the steamy bunk busters yeah and then you had the corset rippers or the um which really what they were. You had the corset rippers with the Joanna Lindsay novels and Jude Devereaux because they were the historical romances. And it was all about they had the brightly coloured Fabio covers on them. Mm. These days, as you can tell from the book that we've just finished, that isn't so much the case anymore. Even historical romances don't tend to have that kind of cover any longer. My mum would um, have books all, all over the house for being a nurse you know when they weren't working as such she'd be reading so it'd be um, Danielle Steele, Barbara Taylor Bradford, Mills and Boone mostly Mills and Boone because they're like just 50 pages and you're done um, I know it's a bit of an under exaggeration that's a bit of, yes <laughs> they're more like they're more like I think 200 180 to 250 depending on yeah. the so there were a lot of those flying around the house and um the first book I, I wasn't really a big reader I, I was really not a very good reader when I was growing up um we had the rainbow books at school yeah Jennifer Yellow Hat oh why yes Jennifer Yellow Hat Roger Red Hat Ro- Billy yeah. Blue Hat yeah the first chapter book I was given, I was, I had chicken pox. I think I was seven. And my grandmother gave me a copy of Wind in the Willows. Oh, right. So that was the first chapter book I ever read. I remember at the age of 13, I was reading Tom Sharp books. Nice. Porthouse Blue. Yeah. 
will 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 on high and all the rest of it. And I said to my said to my mum, I said, "Why on earth did you let me read those books at that age?" And I went into W. H. Smith and I bought them, and no one said a word. And I'm like, a, you know, a young teenager. When I was when I was a kid, we used to have to get permission from our parents to read anything other than the books in the children's section at the library. So I had to take a note from my mum to the library stating my daughter can read from the adult section. It was field day from that point, And I think I was nine. And it, yeah, it was just weird. Um, it was like, for, what do you want for your Christmas or birthday? Oh, I want this new Tom Sharp book. See, that's the thing. I think that when you find an author that you like, so... With this one, I am going to pick up her other books because I, I liked this. I liked the fact that her characters were human and they were relatable. And there were characters that weren't quite perfect. And there were characters that were absolute jerks. And when you find things like that, it's lovely. It's one of the reasons I enjoyed the latest book by Paige Toon because it was actually about fostering. So you oh. might find that one interesting. It was about a child that grew up in a foster home. And about the children that she grew up with. But she wasn't a foster child. She was the birth child of the family and everyone else were foster children. And it was about how she grew up with that and her parents and everything else. And it was really moving. It was a wonderful book to read. I think it's called, it was someone I used to know. Okay. And I think you'd like that one. It was beautifully told. That. It was a lot of tears. <laughs> A lot of tears, but it has a really, really happy, moving ending. Good. Which I think is what this type of book has. That's why I prefer the standalones to the sequels. I was hoping, um, I think half of me was like, yeah, I want a sequel. I want to know what happens. Yeah, but then we have the ending. Yeah, exactly. And then it's like, well, what what could happen? You know, what what's the next step? Oh, they get married. And then like, no, no. Because you think you think about it this way, uh, one book that did that that had the sequels is Me Before You. Mm -hmm. It has two sequels and a uh, short story. The sequels were completely unnecessary because the story finished in the first book, and I find it very very frustrating when things are dragged out far longer than they need to be. There are certain books you read and you think, oh, yes, this, this could do with a sequel because you'd get so much more of this or they could tell the story of that or they could do this and they could build on that. But with stories like this one, it finished. It had a it had closure. The characters got what they needed out of it. I'm not going to say what it was, but they got what they needed. Mm -hmm. And to have a sequel, I think, would dilute that. Yeah. So what's your next read? My next read... Um... Not college book. No, not a college book. No, my next read, actually, I have started already. Um, it's by Scott Mariani. It's a adventure, um, Ben Hope. Um, you've probably heard me talk about him before. I'm on <laughs> book nine of the series. There's like 2020, I think, he's, in, he's on now. Um, wow. This one... Yeah, this one is called The Nemesis Programme, um, and it's about Tesla and um oh one nikola of, tesla yeah nikola tesla yeah and one of his um uh inventions has been made um that can um sort of disintegrate things or or um cause or make it feel like it's a, an earthquake but it's not so it can bring down buildings without oh, actually right. affecting um, anything else so it goes on the resonance of, of that building sounds can... like an invention that they use in warehouse 13 yes yeah <laughs> um so um yeah it's it's all about that but it's it's good it is always interesting to hear other people's reading recommendations I, I'm always looking for new genres and things to read because you can reach a point of exhaustion with any genre whether it's, which is maybe why this romance came at a perfect time for you, because it yeah. was a break from all the adventure, but yeah. it also wasn't a run of the mill. No, no, not at all. Um, 
And it was nice. I mean, as much as I do like horror, I haven't picked up a horror book in such a long time. Um, I've just been, you know, on my adventure and psychological thrillers at the moment. Um, and until I've exhausted that, then I'll, you know, probably go back to to them. Um, I've kept all my favourite books from my two favourite horror authors, which is James Herbert and Stephen King. Well, there you so, go. Unfortunately, not going to get any more James Herbert books, but, you know, just have to pick up the back catalogue instead. We have exhausted talk about this book and every other book. Yeah. <laughs> we could probably talk for hours about most genres, mm-hmm. including Kelly Armstrong's Women yes. of the Other World. We are going to have to do a Kelly Armstrong one at some point, aren't we? At some point, we are going to have to do a Kelly Armstrong. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't read them for ages. I've got them. I've got the first eight of 13 on my bookcase, and I have talked about her newest series on being bookish already. And you need to read that as well, because I would say that that's quite a, an interesting series that crosses paths with mythology. Curse Luck is an interesting one. It crosses paths with mythology, magic and myth. So, Ooh. yes, that was an interesting one. And I have talked about that on a, an earlier episode so if you want to find out about that one, go and listen to that. I will post the link below. And until the next time we talk about a book. Yes. Thank you very much for coming on and talking with me about Eight Perfect Hours and everything else. Yep. Thank you for asking me to come on again. My, ple- my pleasure. Anything to encourage people to read something a little bit out of their comfort zones. Definitely. I'm all up for that. And I will try and see if I can carry on reading stuff out of my comfort zone. It's always a good thing. Thank you very much. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Well, that's it for this week. Thank you for listening. If you like what you hear, why not share it with your friends and family? And please post a star rating on Good Pods, Spotify or Podchaser. And don't forget, for every review you leave on Podchaser this month, money is donated to World Central Kitchen, so every kind word to a podcaster is a good deed. You can follow me on Twitter at being underscore bookish and on Instagram at beingbookishpod. Or you can check out my website, beingbookish.co.uk. Noticing the trend there? Well, I need another cup of coffee and to pick up a new book. So until next time, this is me saying farewell.